Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name's Dan Hasler from Cut Through Coaching, and joining me today is one of my favourite authors. Tal Ben-Shahar has written countless books on happiness, positive psychology, and well-being. When people ask me, you know, what should I read? Have you got any advice, any guidance for me? His books are the ones I recommend. I have personal experience of people telling me how his work has helped change their life. And I'm delighted to say that Tal is joining us live from Brooklyn right now. Tal, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Dan. So um, obviously, um, in the middle of a, a global pandemic, although perhaps hopefully we're maybe the right side of the middle of a global pandemic. Um, in, as I'm as we're recording this um, in Australia, um, Melbourne has just gone into a five day lockdown. Sydney's just come to the end of a, th- a th- the, well the the end of a third week in lockdown with another two promised and perhaps more after that. I'm just curious before we talk about anything else, how are things in Brooklyn, New York, and and how are you faring and, you know, the people around you? How is it being, um, how how, how are people experiencing it over there? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's not been easy. I think for most people initially, uh, you know, my colleagues conducted, uh, have been conducting a lot of research throughout this, and um, what, what they found was that initially happiness levels actually went up and uh, because, uh, you know, it was there was novelty and people were spending more time with their families and things slowed down and there wasn't the commute. Um, within two months, uh, happiness levels, well-being in general, took a, a serious downturn. Uh, it's been going down since uh, hap- uh, anxiety levels are at an all-time high, and we feel it in uh, you know New York, and uh, as 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 do people in uh, uh, in in Australia, I'm sure, and around the world. These are not easy times because a lot of the basics mm. are taken away from us. Whether it's uh, you know freedom of movement, whether it's a freedom of interaction, you know, our, our our friends, family. Mm. Um, so uh, you know, I, I don't think it's uh, it's it, it's going well, and uh, I'm I'm with you. I hope this is the, you know, I, I hope we're on the getting better mm. side of the uh, of, of the of the spike. Absolutely. So when we're thinking about um, happiness, you know, I mean, you're in a an interesting field. You're talking about your colleagues and yourself doing research on on happiness here, and we'll get we'll get to that um, as, as as we sort of chat a little bit more, but. I'm curious as to how it is that um, an Israeli national squash champion um, becomes an expert in happiness because I've played squash and I never really felt that happy at the end of it. My knees were screaming out at me. Typically, I'd been beaten by somebody. I was hot. I was sweaty. You know, I'm not sure I I felt particularly happy walking off a a squash court. So I'm really interested as to, you know, obviously at the top of your game, literally speaking and figuratively speaking, at the top of your game, what what prompted your exploration into the world of, of happiness? Yeah, what, what got me interested in happiness was my own unhappiness. You know, we're uh, told from a very young age that there is a, a pretty clear and straightforward formula that will take us uh, to the good life. And that formula goes through success, 
you know, so you become a, a top athlete, you'll be happy. You get into a good school, you'll be happy. You get a good job, you make a lot of money, you, you have a big house and so on and so on, then you'll be happy. And um, these are, um, you know, illusions. These things actually do not make us happy, certainly not for, for a long time. Yeah, there's a temporary high, um, but it's a temporary high. Mm. And, um, and, you know, I remember, uh, you know, there were a few points in my life. One of them was uh, after winning the, uh, the Israeli national championships, where for years I had fantasized about the moment. And uh, I knew with, uh, with absolute certainty that when I win the Israeli national championships, then I'll finally be happy. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was right. I was extremely happy for about four hours. And then, you know, back to where I was before, you know, uncertain and, and insecure and, and, uh, and anxious, uh, even more so than I was before, because now I, I, I didn't have the illusion that when I win the championship, then I'll be happy. Uh, but then, you know, that didn't stop me from setting another goal. And then I said, OK, I have to be the world champion. You know, I never became the world champion, but I did play professionally and, and, and wasn't happy. And then I got injured and then I, you know, I said, OK, but if I get into my top choice university, then I'll be happy. You know, and I, and, and I got into Harvard and I was very happy for, you know, a few days. And then again and again, you know, time and again, you know, achieving a goal and, and, and being disappointed. Um. And, and I realized at some point that I was, uh, I was climbing the wrong mountain. You know, I alongside Sisyphus pushing that rock uh, up the mountain. And, um, and I was, uh, at, at that point, I was a computer science major at Harvard. I was in my second year. And uh, one day I woke up and I just, I went to my academic advisor and I said to her, I'm switching majors. And she said, what, you know, what to? And I said, well, I'm leaving computer science, moving over to philosophy and psychology. And she, she asked me why. And I said, because I have two questions. One question is, why aren't I happy? Second question, how can I become happier? And then with these two questions, I went on um, to, to study uh, happiness, well-being you know, on the individual level, interpersonal level, organizational and societal level. I find that really um, interesting as you were talking there about the... Um you know the the, the achieve, setting goals believing that the the answer is you know the other side of that goal but then you get to the other side of the goal and you realize oh the answer isn't here so i need to set a bigger goal and it becomes this you know you constantly changing chasing sorry the next big thing and when you talk about you know then going to harvard and things i'd, I'd imagine I don't, i'm guessing because i've never been to harvard but i'm guessing there's a lot of people at harvard who are chasing similar ideals or similar goals, you know, and you became a, a lecturer at Harvard. And I'm curious as to your observations around that, not only for yourself, but for countless hundreds, if not thousands of other high achievers um, in, in terms of their quest for, for, for success and happiness. And I'm just wondering, you know, how you guide people through that yes yeah, so first of all yes you know one of the first things that i discovered was that i wasn't alone you know i wasn't the only one on that uh uh rat race uh, uh, chasing the 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 illusory uh goal the illusory life uh there, there were many others and you know not just at harvard they're everywhere uh because um especially uh, not only but especially in the you know the 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 west or the the developed countries 
the wealthy countries, you know, that is what people uh, mostly think about. That's what they believe that uh, the, the path to happiness entails. Um, so the first thing to do is um, to, uh, you know, put up the mirror and say, look, you, you, you've been there before, you know, whether it was, you know, small success, big successes, it doesn't matter, but you've been there before and you were very happy for those few hours or, or maybe, maybe weeks. Um, that's not the path. So, you know, I coined the term uh, arrival fallacy. And arrival fallacy is about the false uh, belief that when we arrive, when we achieve something, when we get to that uh, uh, mountaintop, that then we'll be happy. And um, the first thing is understanding that. The second thing is then, you know, after we, we mourn the loss of, uh, of this mental schema, of this belief, um, then we have to look for, you know, the right model. So how do we attain happiness? And, and for that, we have the, the science of happiness, you know, this, this field that I've been uh, a part of for the last 30 years. I think um, when I'm hearing you talk about the arrival fallacy, we're not just talking about really kind of obvious, I guess, tangible successes and achievements like academics or sporting success. The arrival fallacy, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, does that, that applies to things like when I get a better partner or um, uh, when I lose the weight or when I get the, um, the surgery or when I, is, is, that, is that applicable in those contexts? Yeah, very much so. You know, even our, our, you know, our, our most, um, you know, sacred uh, institutions, you know, when I finally, you know, find the, the, you know, the right partner, uh, then I can live happily ever after. Um, that's unfortunately not the case, you know, that we are, uh, we're fed this model, I mean, what, what, what do you, you know, what, what do you see in the, in the movies? Mm. You see, you know, two people seeing one another at the beginning of the, you know, of the adventure, you know, there's some tension there and then they go through uh, certain conflicts and things are, don't work out. But then at the end they get together, you know, they, you know, they kiss, they, and, and they live happily ever after. Mm. Or so we think, you know, the problem is that um, movies end where love begins. And, you know, the real work uh, begins uh, after, after you, um, you, you, you commit. Mm. It's not uh, getting to the, to the commitment point. Again, an, an illusion. There is no uh, uh, happily ever after without trials and tribulations, without uh, difficulties, hardships, challenges. Um, not when you, um, you know, um, win a sports championship or win um, the, the lottery or... Um, uh, or find your uh, perfect match. Because as you're saying, that, that in some ways might even contribute, or, or it sounds like it, you're saying it does contribute to deeper levels of unhappiness. So the the achievement of these goals, it's kind of like a bit of a sugar high, but then you get that real crash afterwards of going, wow, that, that's all there is, that's it. Yeah, and, and you do for, for a very specific reason. So, you know, let, let me take um, an extreme example here. Um, an example that I've, I've seen play out in reality, and, and many of us are, are, are familiar with it. Um, so imagine a, you know, a person whose dream it is to become a, a movie star. And you know, this person goes to you know, Hollywood and uh, you know, weighs tables and is, is unhappy, but, but always says to himself, you know, when I get there, then I'll be happy. When I become a, a star... Uh, I'll be happy. And they continue being unhappy and even miserable, but they're always sustained by the belief that when they get there, then they'll be happy. And um, they get their break. 
you know, they, they make it, they become, you know, an overnight sensation and they become rich and famous and they can get, uh, you know, any, just about any partner they want and they can buy just about any house they want on whatever island they, they, they desire. And they've made it and they're ecstatic. And, you know, for how long? For about a year. And then after a year, they, they, they start to feel down uh, again and they're unhappy again. Uh, only this time it's worse because they no longer have the illusion to sustain them. Mm. You know, they, 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 they got there and they realized that there is no there there. Mm. Now, here is the thing. The difference between sadness and depression is that depression is sadness without hope. Mm. Depression is sadness without hope. So before they had hope, yeah. when I make it, now they no longer have this hope. So what do they do? They look for answers outside of reality since reality couldn't provide them with what they were looking for. Mm. What's outside reality? Outside reality could be alcohol, could be drugs, or the ultimate exit, which is suicide. And that's why we see, you know, whether it's the 27 Club, whether it's, you know, so many very successful individuals who... Um, uh, who are, you know, alcoholics or, or on drugs or, um, or, or commit suicide because they still have the model that uh, the arrival fallacy, the, um, the um, celebrities or the very successful individuals who, who, who do lead full and fulfilling lives realize at some point, hopefully sooner than later, that um, the answer doesn't lie in more, more success, more achievement, more arrivals. It lies in, uh, in in other things, which is a wonderful segue into. So let let's explore some of those other things. You you have used the phrase the science of happiness. You've used you know I I know that you know you've lectured on this at Harvard, and my understanding is that it was one of the most overly subscribed courses. I wonder if you first of all talk a little around that. Why do you think? happiness classes would be so overly subscribed at, a, at a, a school like Harvard. And then maybe we'll dig into the, some of the specifics that perhaps you were teaching there and then as, as your work has developed. So, you know, in, in these current times, people perhaps can start thinking and applying some of the, the science of happiness in order to become a little happier. Yes. Yeah, so um, first of all, it's not just at Harvard where these classes are popular. Um, you look at whether it's, you know, uh, University of Sydney, Melbourne, um, Peking University, um, uh, you know, Stanford, Harvard, Yale. You know, it's uh, these are um, um, popular classes because people are looking for answers. And um, while you can, of course, go into the self-help section of, uh, of the bookstore and find many books that will promise the, you know, the five steps to happiness or the secret to, to the good life. Um, in, uh, in, in positive psychology or uh, the science of happiness classes, you actually find evidence-based interventions that work. So uh, students naturally are, are looking for those. You know, my, my particular class became uh, popular because um, at the end of each year, students evaluate uh, the class. So they evaluate the uh, you know, the professor, they evaluate the, the reading material and they, they evaluate uh, the overall, uh, their overall experience. And my class, you know, did fairly well, like many other classes. Um, you know, it wasn't exceptional in, in any way, except for one thing. At the end, 
students get the opportunity to, um, to write additional comments. Do you have anything else to add? And a large number of students added the following sentence, this class changed my life. Mm. And um, when other students saw that, um, you know, again, no big surprise, they, they, they signed up. Mm. Now, this was an explicit uh, objective of mine. When I put the class together, I thought, you know, I, w- I was sitting in their, in their seat just what, f- 15 years earlier. I was a student like them. And I was miserable. And I thought, what would have helped me being in that, in that, in that seat? What would have helped me lead a more full and fulfilling life? How could I make more? How could I have made more of, uh, of my experience as a student? And then I took the signs out there and, and, and I put it together answering this, uh, this question. And, and, and the thing about the science of happiness is that it's no, it's no rocket science, meaning the things are, you know, accessible. Um, the things, you know, when, when I talk about the arrival fallacy, you know, it takes me five minutes to explain it and everyone gets it. And everyone says, oh, yeah, I experienced that when, you know, um, when I became, uh, uh, you know, when I got an A on this grade, when I was, you know, I thought I'd be so happy. And then, you know, five minutes later, I was back to the pressure that I felt before. Or, uh, you know, they can connect to, um, to, um, to the importance of physical exercise. Yeah, I feel better after I, I work out. And now they see the science. So it makes even more sense. Again, it's, it's, it's accessible uh, to all. And, you know, my explicit objective you know, beyond asking, you know, what, what, what would make a difference is to create a bridge between Ivory Tower and Main Street. Because the, between the work done in, in laboratories, in academia, and make that accessible to to everyone, you know, student, uh, you know, parent, employee. So, in in all your work, you actually avoid the word, or certainly in the titles of your book and the way you explain it, you avoid the word happy. You know, you don't mm-hmm. talk about helping people become happy. Rather, you actually talk about the idea of becoming happier. And I I have really latched onto that in the work that I do in the in the coaching work that I do with various uh people this idea of because I think without putting it in your words of the arrival fallacy by focusing on becoming happier rather than happy I think I'm right in saying we try and avoid that arrival fallacy um but I'm interested in in the the tangibles in the practicals in this science that you that you're talking about first and foremost when you say happier is it your position that anybody can become happier now? <laughs> and if so, can you talk a little around that the science? What are, what, are, what are the things that they need to be focusing on and thinking about and doing? So, um, you know, the, uh, the use of the word happier is, uh, is intentional. And the reason is because I don't think there is a point before which we're unhappy, after which we are happy. In other words, it's not a binary zero one. You know, if, if someone asks me, so Tal, are you happy? I wouldn't know how to answer this question. I can certainly say that I'm happier today than I was 30 years ago when, when embarking on this journey. At the same time, I certainly hope that 10 years from now, I'll, I'll be happier than I am today. You know, it's a lifelong journey and a journey that ends when, when life ends. So how do we become happier? Now, paradoxically, interestingly, the first step towards becoming happier is accepting, embracing unhappiness. 
You see, there is a, there is a paradox at play. And the paradox is that when we reject painful emotions, you know, if I say to myself something like, Tal, you shouldn't be uh, anxious. You know, you're, you're, you're a happiness expert. How come you're anxious? What immediately happens then is that I become more anxious. Uh, if, you know, if I say to myself, you know, don't be envious. How can you be envious of a friend? That's, you know, immoral. You know, it's, it, it doesn't become you. I immediately, that, that, that envy in, um, grows stronger. Paradoxically, paradoxically, it's when we embrace, accept painful emotions that they um, do not overstay their welcome. Every life, every life comprises some painful emotions. There is no perfectly happy life. And the question is, how do we become happier? And that is um, equivalent to how do we strengthen our immune system, psychological immune system? Because, you know, what does a strong immune system mean? It doesn't mean you don't get sick. It simply means you get sick less often. And when you do, you recover more promptly. And in the same way, psychologically, we become more resilient, better able to deal with difficulties and, and hardship, hardships. So the first step is uh, what I've come to call giving ourselves the permission to be human, the permission to experience the full range of human emotions, painful as well as pleasurable ones. Uh, second, uh, physical exercise, you know, very simple, and, and it's, it's especially important to, to emphasize it now during you know, lockdowns and quarantines and, and when your favorite gym is closed and all that, we have to exercise. There is research showing that uh, regular physical exercise as you know, three times a week, 30 minutes each time, not that much, is equivalent to our most powerful psychiatric medication. Now, that doesn't mean we can you know, just throw out uh, medication if, we, if, if we're using, um, but it does mean that um, if we're not exercising, we are significantly hurting ourselves, not just physically, also uh, psychologically. Um, another important element of uh, happiness is, is gratitude, appreciation. The amount of happiness that we experience is not contingent so much on the objective circumstances on, of our life. And I'm not talking extremes here. You know, obviously, if we live in a war zone or uh, you know, experience uh, extreme poverty, yes, external circumstances will affect our happiness levels significantly. So I'm not talking about the you know, Maslow's basic needs. But once these are met, what matters much more to our happiness is our subjective interpretation and specifically our appreciation of, um, of what we have. So expressing gratitude, whether it's through a gratitude journal, whether it's by uh, you know, closing our eyes and imagining, savoring what, what, what we have and what we're thankful for. Um, number one predictor of happiness, quality time we spend with people we care about and who care about us. Now, again, this is more difficult now during, um, during this period. But uh, even if we spend quality time uh, online, just, just really talking to someone, really sharing, opening up and, and, and listening, um, that can go a long way in um, dealing with difficulties and also uh, accentuating the positive in our lives. You know, uh, Francis Bacon, who was uh, a British philosopher, lived uh, around 400 years ago, I think, uh, once said, friendship doubles joy and cuts grief in half. And this applies yeah. to all our... Uh, deep, meaningful relationships. It's interesting when you're talking about, uh, you know, prescribing drugs and things like that. Now, I, I'm I'm not a doctor, but a lot of people, when I'm working with them, will say, have you got any, you know, have you got anything you can, 
advice, if you've got anything you can give me. And I, I've told you this personally before when we met in Melbourne, but the only prescription I ever give people is your book, the book I read back in 2009, which was Happier. And I, I can personally attest, that, like your students were saying, you know, your course changed their life. I have people very, very dear to me who tell me that your book, Happier, changed their life. And now comes another book, very timely, with Happier No Matter What, I really am hopeful that people listening to this podcast not only go and get your books and things like that, but can actually get a benefit as a result of listening to you today. You know, what's something, if you were to give them a prescription or some advice, you know, no matter how, where they are on that happiness conti continuum, if they want to get a little happier, one notch up, whatever it might be, what's something that they you would be recommending to them? Yes, yeah, so, you know, what, what's new about that book is... Uh, a model that I've uh, developed over the past uh, 10 plus years, the SPIRE yeah. model. And uh, SPIRE stands for um, the five elements, as I see it, of happiness. S is for spiritual well-being. P is physical well-being. I is the intellectual well-being. R is relational. And uh, finally, E is the emotional. And for each of these SPIRE elements, and I go through each one of them, of course, in, in greater length in the book, there are certain interventions, evidence-based uh, tools and techniques that we can apply in our lives. So let, let me very briefly go through uh, each one, maybe provide one or two interventions. So spiritual well-being, that's, um, that's about uh, finding a sense of meaning and purpose. And it's also about being present. So a, a very simple exercise here is uh, a, a practicing mindfulness. Now, mindfulness doesn't have to be, you know, practiced in, a, in an ashram or uh, sitting, uh, you know, lotus position um, on, on um, you know, under a tree. Uh, it can, mm -hmm. and it can lead to great things. But, um, but we can also be mindful when we are um, speaking with a friend, when we are uh, going for a walk, when we're doing a house chores. So just becoming mindful of uh, what we're doing, you know, John Kabat-Zinn, you know, who's a, who's a wonderful teacher in, uh, in this uh, space, has a, a book title that, uh, for me, says it all. Wherever you go, there you are. Mm -hmm. Wherever you go, there you are. So just being present to whatever it is that we're doing and putting aside, you know, whether it's three minutes a day or, um, you know, or five minutes uh, three times a day. Um, this can go a long way. In, uh, in centering us. So that's spiritual well-being, physical well-being. You know, I spoke about uh, exercise. Um, let me add to that uh, rest and recovery. Mm. You know, levels of anxiety and stress, I mentioned earlier, are at an all-time high today. The thing, though, is that stress and, and, and anxiety in and of themselves are not the issue. The issue, rather, is that we don't recover. Think about the following analogy. You go to the gym and you lift weights. You're stressing your muscles. Not a bad thing. You actually get stronger. The problem in the gym begins when you lift weights and more weights and more weights without recovery. And that's when you get injured. That's when you get weaker rather than stronger. So putting time aside, you know, what I've come to call islands of sanity throughout your day um, can go a long way in actually turning that stress into uh, a positive, uh, a growth experience. And recovery can be, uh, you know, having a, you know, a, a cup of coffee with with a friend, uh, or it can be, you know, having a meal, but not a meal when you're on the phone and doing work at the same time, because that's not recovery. That's simply more stress. Um, so that's when it comes to um, 
to physical well-being, intellectual well-being. You know, um, and Dan, this this is uh, a study that came out quite recently, and I must say I'm very excited about it. Uh, people who are curious uh, actually live longer. So people who ask questions, who are lifelong learners, uh, um, that are, are healthier as well as happier. So make a point of you know watching a, you know an online lecture, listening to a, a podcast, read something. It doesn't have to be major. It doesn't have to be you know hours and hours a day. Um, but just add a little bit of uh, learning and uh, into your life that contributes to well-being. So this this podcast is actually making people listening now healthier. That's right. Beautiful. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're about, Dan. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, then there is relational well-being. Again, put time aside for um, for for relationships, especially. Um, listening and being listened to. There is uh, so much research showing that it's uh, a win-win when we're listening to to someone, they're benefiting and we're benefiting mm. and vice versa. More generally, be kind, be generous. There's wonderful research by, uh, by Sonia Lubomirsky and many others showing how acts of kindness contribute obviously to the betterment of the world mm. and to our own uh, physical and psychological well-being. Yeah. And finally, emotional well-being. Give yourself the permission to be human. How do you do that? Keep a journal. You know, people ask me, so what do you do differently during the pandemic? And I say, I do the same things, the basics, only more of them. Mm. So in terms of exercise, I usually exercise three times a week. I'm up to five times a week during the pandemic. I always keep a journal. I give myself the permission by writing in my, in my journal. Um, in the, in the past, I used to write about once every other week, uh, except for when I was going through you know, a rough spell. Um, today, at least once a week during a pandemic, I write in my journal. With, with the journaling, is there a framework that you put around that or is it just free writing, whatever's front of mind or is, it, is there more structure to it? Because journaling is something that you know, we, we do a lot of with the people we work with and, and we don't necessarily have a, you know, a set formula. It's kind of, well, whatever, whatever you think, you know, the paper's not going to criticize you. It's not going to judge you. It's just, just for you. But I'm curious as an expert in this, um, do you mandate a structure, a framework, or is it more just free write? Um, the, the answer is yes. Uh, we, <laughs> we do both. Yeah. And uh, so let me give you a, uh, an example. So just free associating um, is is important. You know, Freud showed it when, you know, in terms of, uh, um, you know, just talking about whatever comes to mind. And there's a lot of research showing that, that, that it's important and valuable. At the same time, we also have structured exercises. Now, I'll point to a few that, that I think, that, that I know really help. Um, one of them is um, the protocol offered by Jamie Pennybaker. Jamie Pennybaker is a uh, professor at the uh, University of Texas had people on four consecutive days write about their most difficult traumatic experiences. You know, write about your emotions, write about what you experience, uh, simply write. No one's going to see what you write. So this is, you know, for your eyes only. And when they write and they do it for 20 minutes on four consecutive days, um, what he showed was that uh, they benefit significantly in terms of anxiety levels. Mind you, not initially. When they write it for the first few days, anxiety levels actually go up. But in the long term, it goes down significantly. They become healthier. They have fewer uh, doctor's visits. They, um, they become happier, more social. 
uh, more friendly. Numerous benefits to this to this protocol. So here I would follow, you know, I would follow it to the letter. Uh, there is also work by Laura King, uh, who provides uh, interesting um, guiding questions for writing about your peak experiences. Mm-hmm. Then there is wonderful work by Nathaniel Brandon uh, on sentence completion, which is a, a very powerful technique that I have used and continue to use. Um, there's an exercise that I do with, uh, with my students, and this is going back to um, spiritual well-being, to finding meaning in life. And it goes as follows. Imagine that a spell of anonymity has been cast on you. From now on and for the rest of your life, no one will know what you do. No one will know uh, how much money you make. No one will know uh, how much you're helping and contributing to the world. No one will know how wonderful and amazing you are. You and you alone will know what you do. In this world, in this anonymous world, what would you do? And, uh, you know, this is a a specific exercise that can help people identify what is their their passion, what is truly meaningful to them, independent of of external voices. And there are many such examples, you know, right, uh, you know, um, imagine that a a time machine has been invented. You're uh, 90 years old and you go back to your present day. What advice would you give yourself? Mm. Very powerful exercise. Um, so, so, so the answer is, is yes, free associate, very helpful and use some guided journaling. You me- you mentioned one there that the sentence completion, what's an example of a sentence completion? Good. Um, yeah. What's a good prompt that perhaps someone listening here might go and riff on, uh, after listening. Good. Um, so, so actually let, let me give you just a couple and, and because the nice thing about sentence completion is that the second can build on the first and, and, and so on. Mm. So, you know, at first sentence completion, um, could be the prompt, um, to, to be happier, dot, dot, dot. And then you complete it in, uh, you know, one minute or two minutes, again, free associating, not thinking about it, just writing whatever comes to mind and heart. So for example, to be happier. I need to spend more time with friends. To be happier, I will uh, um, I will meditate more. To be happier, uh, I will stand up and jump for joy. Whatever comes out, whether it's silly, whether it's uh, deep, you know, analyze later mm-hmm. when you're doing it just right. Mm-hmm. So to be happier, dot, dot, dot. Then another one um, can be um, similar to the first one, but slightly to increase my happiness levels by 1%. You know, this is really little. This is attainable. Dot dot dot. Another another one which uh, which 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 I often do is um, to change my life for the better. Or if someone is interested, what's really important to me? You know, dot dot dot. So you can make up your own. Uh, Nathaniel Brandon, B R A N D E N. Nathaniel Brandon came up with this uh, method. And if you Google him, you'll find actually programs, you know, for example, a 24-week program where he builds you um, along this. And it's, you know, it's 10 minutes a day, extremely uh, powerful. So to close, I'd I'd like just to throw something of a a challenge. So if if I'm, if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm sort of going, yep, I get this, um, you know, I, I can see how if I did this and did that, that that would help. I'm wondering about the person listening who has got somebody in their life who is perhaps struggling a little more than them, and perhaps they're not 
uh, up until this point, they've not been open. Perhaps there's a fair bit of self-sabotaging going on. What advice would you give somebody who has somebody like that in their life and they want to help? How would they do it in a way that... Because I, I know a lot of people kind of resist the urge to help because they don't want to make things worse. They don't want to be seen as interfering. They don't want to you know, cause an argument because perhaps that's how it's played out in the past. I'm wondering if there is any advice or guidance you might offer um, if, if they have uh, such a person in, in their world? Yeah, so, so the first thing to recognize is uh, our limitations, you know, to be humble about uh, what we can and, and cannot do. Um, you know, it's difficult enough to, to change our lives, mm. um, let alone the lives of, of others. But here are uh, just a couple of things that, um, that I want to address. The, um, the first one is uh, to lead by example. Be the change you want to see in the world in a very sensitive and empathic way. You know, if your you know, partner is not, is, is not doing well, if they're depressed, you know, the last thing they need is you, jovial, jumping up and down for joy. Um, however, if you are doing things that contribute to your well-being, like exercising, like going out and you know, meeting with people, you know, encourage them to, uh, to, to do the same. Be the change you want to see in the world, as, as Gandhi put it. Mm. Um, so that's the first thing. No, that's the second thing. The first thing is, uh, I, I pointed out this uh, earlier, it's to listen. And, and listening, not just waiting to speak, but listening to really develop a sense of empathy for that person and, and just be there. Yeah, seeking to understand. Mm. Tal, thank you so much um, for, joining, for joining us today. If people listening, and I'm sure people listening, will want to learn more of your work and get, get their hands on, on your books and, and other resources, I know you've got lot, you know, lots of different online courses and as we've already learned, you know, learning stuff will make you healthier too. Um, what, what's the best place for people to learn more about you and, and your work? Um, well, my website is uh, talbenshahar, all one word, dot com. Yep. And there, um, there, is, uh, there are links to my online courses um, as well as my books. That's great. I'll make sure that there's a, a link to that in the show notes. And um, yeah, with, um, with a bit of luck, people are feeling just that little bit healthier and that little bit happier as a result of uh, listening to our podcast uh, today. So thank you so much again for joining us from uh, Brooklyn. Thank you, Dan. So as I mentioned, we'll put a link to talbenshahar.com in the show notes. And also I'm going to put a link to his online um, academy, which is happinessstudies.academy, where you can access all the different online courses and offerings that he has. Now, if you found that podcast useful, worthwhile, perhaps you're feeling happier or healthier as a result of listening to it, then there's a fair chance that somebody you know might also benefit from it. So please, please, please share this podcast as far and as wide as you can. And don't forget, wherever you get your podcast, you can leave a comment and subscribe. If you are interested in the work we do here, then head over to habitsofleadership.com and you can click on the podcast page there. You can leave us a question. You can make suggestions for guests and also you might have been listening to our bite-sized episodes in which i've been talking about my brand new book which is called the act of leadership if you head over to actofleadership.com you can get your hands on the introduction as well as a whole heap of other resources which will help you and the people around you be their best but until our next episode thank you so much for tuning in take care take it easy